Welcome to the Housing Matters Podcast, brought to you by the California Association of Realtors and the Center for California Real Estate. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us again for our latest Housing Matters Podcast. My name is Oscar Way. I'm a senior economist at the California Association of Realtors. And I'm Jordan Levine, joining Oscar today. Again, um, it's always a great pleasure to share some information with you about the housing market. Now we have we don't have a latest press release yet. We will have a monthly press release on sales and price next week. But it doesn't hurt to kind of give a preview of uh, what the what we think the housing the housing market is going to be like in August. Now last month in July it was somewhat disappointing. <laughs> yes. And and. I think in our press release and other people's press release, we attributed partly of the week sales partly to the uh, seasonality, right? Part of it was seasonality, but it seems like there was something else going on under the hood of those numbers too. Um, not a ton to be optimistic about. Yeah. Now, of course, we don't have the crystal ball. I mean, we haven't really seen the numbers yet uh, from our uh, data collection, but uh, let's talk about what we can expect for August. Put on our forecasting hat. Yes. Right now, I know. Again, I want to say that you know there is seasonality involved slightly in August. It does have just based on the number of trading days, number of business days. We do have two business days uh, in August as compared to last year. So just look at just because of that reason, your raw sales number will probably appear to be a, a little bit higher. Okay. Now, in reality, whether that is the case, that's really hard to say. Uh, what do you think? Is, do you think it's going to be a good month or just a so-so month, or what do you think? Yeah, I wouldn't go as far as to say good. Um, I think that we might eke out a, a modest gain based on you know both what we saw in the pending sales that we put out last month, as well as just kind of um, initial reads on what happened during the first couple of months, or weeks of the month, rather. It seems like some, some transactions did spill into that first week of August um, and close, so we could potentially catch up there, but don't expect to see um, you know, explosive growth or a big kind of upshift in, in home sales, just given where you know, inventories and affordability are. I agreed. I mean, I know that fundamentals great. It's still pretty solid, but we did have some softening in the economic growth in the last couple uh, quarters. Um, of course, you know we do have very low interest rates, so that's somewhat encouraging. But still, you know there are stuff that need to be worried about. Yeah, I mean it's you know nowhere near your dad's mortgage market where we had double digit you know rates. Exactly. They're still very very affordable, and also we're you know still adding jobs. There's more people working in California um, than there was last month or last year even um, by a pretty decent margin. So um, there's folks out there who want to buy, but you know again I think it all comes back down to the ability to do so. Right, and. Of course, um, you, you mentioned you know the ability to do so. It has a lot to do with affordability, but something that will uh, lower affordability is the uh, supply conditions of the housing market. I know that last month, for example, we were still below four. We have 3.5 months of inventory. Nothing, nothing to brag about. You know, remember the normal is about six months, and three and a half is pretty low even though it might have grown it might have shown some, shown some improvement from say a couple months ago but a lot has to do with drop in sales 
supply didn't really increase that much. Um, and it's been pretty isolated geographically in terms of where we're seeing kind definitely. of listings come online too. So Definitely. And we talked about in uh, previous episodes before, there are a couple of things that affect tight supply, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, we went to that um, Real Estate Research Council of Southern California right. event a few weeks back. Um, Dr. Richard Green was there. And he talked about some things that I think are very relevant um, for our market here in California in terms of, you know, what's affecting supply or what's preventing new supply uh, from coming online or inventories from growing, I guess. And I just found um, a lot of what he said really kind of on point for, for the market that we're looking at today. Very true. I mean, he talked about a few things, but let's hone in on one thing that he spent quite a bit of time on, uh, that is demographics. And of course, demographic is not something that changes overnight. Um, and so the issue that we are uh, talk, we will be talking about is more law on the structural uh, right. of the housing market. So let's talk about uh, the demographics. Uh, let's focus first on the demographics on the supply side, for example. Sure. So why are people not putting their house up on the market for sale? He had uh, a lot of reasons, many of which I, I believed with, but a big part of it was just this kind of structural change. I thought one of the interesting comments that he made regarding um, you know just the, the lower turnover rates in general, and it wasn't just a, a kind of cyclical phenomenon. This was something that started actually before the downturn, you know, began, and while the housing market was still going relatively sure. strong, um, you know, people weren't moving as often, and he kind of broke that out across all different demographic groups: young, old, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, um, you know, male, female, and it was pretty much across the board where you know folks just aren't moving as often uh, in today's day and age as they were in the past, um, and I think that's. That's something to keep in mind just because that's, you know, something that seems like it's been a long time in the making and probably isn't likely to go away, um, at least not over the immediate term. True. Now, let me just throw in some numbers. I know we try to keep it num numbers light, but let me throw in a couple numbers just to support what sure. uh, Jordan just mentioned. Um, compared to 10 years ago, uh, we definitely are seeing fewer people moving. If you take a look at our annual housing market survey, the latest housing market survey suggests that people uh, who are putting up their uh, house on the market for sale, they live there for 10 years before moving um, to their next home. This is the latest statistics. What about 10 years ago in 2005, 2006? And that number was only five years. So it doubled in a matter of 10 years. Wow, so people are staying in their house twice as long than as they used to. Right, definitely. And that's just from 10 years ago. I mean, I'm sure it's even longer if you go back and look at the you know 70s and 80s, they were probably staying and or you know moving more frequently even back then. Possibly, and of course, you know, I I, I said you know it has something to do with demographics, and of course we are getting uh, the boomer generations, for example, moving from their 40s and 50s, uh, 40 and to early 50s to now in the age of 55 to 65, and those age that age group typically move uh, less. Right, they're just not as mobile, and they're also a bigger chunk of our our kind of overall population base, so that can have kind of an outsized, I guess, impact on turnover and therefore the amount of inventory just because they're such a bigger kind of population group than they used to be. 
Definitely. I mean, of course, they are you know, just to give it a little bit more meat. You know, when you're in the 40s, you move because, let's say, for school districts for your kids, you move, uh, you want, you, you, you continue, your household continue to grow, you need a bigger house. That's why you move. In your 50, late 50s, 60s, you don't tend to move because your kids might have, you know, leave your house for college. You don't necessarily have to have a bigger house. But, of course, there is also a uh, cyclical nature or uh, uh, element to why people are not moving. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think before I go there, I did just want to touch on one other kind of aspect, which I hadn't really considered, but which I thought was, you know, fairly interesting was just, um, you know, in terms of, of the kind of life events that also trigger um, moving. And I think, you know, marriage, he said, was one of the, the big kind of correlates with with buying a home um and and folks aren't getting married as kind of early on in their life they're not marrying um you know to some extent at all there's more folks who kind of choose to live a single life and that's also kind of depressed um you know the amount of folks who are kind of moving into homes or moving up into bigger homes and things like that which I thought was an interesting take on it. It was something that I hadn't considered um, in the past. And, you know, one of the kind of funny anecdotes that he mentioned, or not really an anecdote, but, you know, he talked about how, um, you know, females really in particular um, are very keen on kind of marrying somebody with at least as much education as them or higher. Um, and today we have a disproportionate share of the college graduates and attendees who are, are female, which is a big change from in the past where, you know, most college going folks were male now the bigger majority is on the female side um you know and they're getting higher and higher levels of education male uh educational attainment isn't keeping up with that and so um there's fewer kind of attractive males i think sorry guys we're gonna have to <laughs> step up our game um in terms of the the educational attainment just to to attract those wives but it does have kind of this indirect effect on the housing market which i thought was you know just a kind of interesting way to look at things oh definitely and of course you know if you just look at some numbers that we have seen before uh in terms of marriage rate definitely it is low and if you if you're not married you don't necessarily have to own a home you know i mean there there is some correlation to it you definitely don't need to uh, have to own a home and you know, people are delaying marriage because of many different reasons, sure. as you mentioned earlier. But when they delay marriage, of course, they will, you know, marry. They will buy a home later. That doesn't necessarily mean that they don't necessarily want to be a homeowner eventually. But it's just that they will become a homeowner a little later. Um, and part of it, I, I think, has to do with, and we'll talk uh, a little bit more later on. Has to do with, of course, they have a little bit more financial burden. Some of the uh, millennials, because of uh, increase in college uh, tuitions cause of uh, finishing up their college education, that probably delay their um, uh, desire to forming a home right away. Sure, and rents are no picnic either, right? So it's Not hard to save up for, for a down payment in the first place or even consider kind of buying a home when you're you know living paycheck to paycheck. So. Exactly, exactly. And then of course it depends on what area too. Now let's talk a little bit about the uh, cyclical nature then. Yeah, and this is one that I think is is really kind of critical and in play at this point in time. In fact, I you know I wrote a blog a couple of months ago, and one of the comments in the blog section was, um, you know, why aren't you talking about negative equity as being something that's really holding back supply? And you know, my response was that we've you know 
made up a lot of progress on that front in terms of, you know, I think upwards of 25, 30% of all homes mm -hmm. in the state were underwater, um, you know, back in 2009, 10, when prices were really depressed. Um, and we've chipped away at that a lot, such that I think, you know, we're back close to quote unquote normal levels of people who are um, upside down or underwater on their mortgage in terms of owing more than the house is actually worth. Um, a lot of folks have actually gotten back to to level, but you know, one of the interesting things that um, again, Dr. Green brought up, which is, uh, it's not just about kind of recovering to the right. level where you you kind of are back on par. Your house is worth what you paid for it in the first place. That doesn't help you move up to the next house, right? So if I bought my house for five hundred thousand dollars, it went down to three hundred or two fifty or maybe more. Um, and then it's bounced back to 500,000, great. I've kind of finally recovered my initial investment, um, but I don't have any equity that I can use to put down on my next house. And in fact, I went through and crunched the numbers. Um, he was talking from a more national perspective, but I looked at this in, in California and it was, you know, it's really pretty staggering in terms of, um, you know, how many parts of the state or how many counties in the state are still well below where they were uh, back in 2005, six, seven timeframe. So, um, you know, just to give you a sense, I think there's only six counties out of the entire state where we've kind of gotten back to that pre-recession level in terms of, of home prices. And when you look at counties where we're at least 20% above where they were in 2006 or seven or five, um, depending on where we're talking about, there's only five counties. And so um, uh -huh. even though prices have recovered and actually grown pretty remarkably over the course of the last you know, three, four years, we're, we're still not seeing a big proportion of folks who are sitting on kind of lots of equity. Not everyone obviously bought at the height of the market. And so, you know, these price gains have helped folks build equity. Um, but I think that's a huge underlying factor in terms of why folks aren't kind of moving up. A, the market's tight and there's not a lot out there for you to go buy if you do turn around and sell. But more than that, um, you know, people really rely on that home equity as a source of financing for that next home. And I think that's one of the big missing pieces. I agree with you. I think in 2005, six, and you said earlier that not a lot of people may not necessarily bought at the peak of the market. Right. You know, when, when we said peak of the market, it's, a, it's in 2006, uh, maybe even 2007, early 2007. But there, there were a lot of people who bought in 2004, five at a very high level, high price level. Now, you, you said earlier that equity has not recovered. And of course, some of the major metropolitan area like LA, for example, it's still down something like what, 15, 16% or something? Like yeah, that? I think it's right around 15 to 20% in LA in terms of being still about, you know, looks like 18% below that pre-recession peak in prices. So a lot of folks in LA haven't even recovered, you know, their initial investment. Um, in California, we're, you know, roughly about that same level, about 14% still below. This is before the August number obviously mm -hmm, came out. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you've still got prices on median that are 14% below where they were. Uh, and so I think that that is just another reason why um, folks are unwilling to sell. There's a lot less options for a repeat buyer in terms of um, low down payment kind of financing right. options um, compared to a first-time buyer, right? If you're a first-time buyer, there's you know a decent number of 
you know avenues that you can go whether it's fha or some of these low down payment um setups that you get from wells fargo and things these days but when you're a repeat buyer the the down payment burden i think is is more substantial just because right. you you know you're looking at 10 20 percent down typically um, for that repeat sale which means that you need to bring some substantial equity to the table right so that means of course if they cannot uh, get the enough equity to move on to the next house, and presumably many of the uh, trade-up buyers, many of the buyers, repeat buyers, are trade-up buyers. And if they can't move up, obviously they can't put up their current home on the market, and that definitely affects the uh, supply side. Absolutely. And, and of course, for those areas where we're seeing increase in equity, um, there are only five or six of them, and I assume that those counties, yeah, they're growing, but they're actually growing in terms of price by a significant amount that people cannot afford, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's no coincidence that, um, you know, those five counties that are, you know, at least 20% above the pre-recession peak, including, you know, San Francisco, San Mateo, Santa Clara, um, are are the areas where we're seeing a pretty decent uptick in listing activity in the past couple of months, right? And I think that um, you can't ignore the kind of correlation there where, you know, prices peaked in San Francisco previously at, you know, under a million dollars. Now they're in the kind of 1.3, 1.4 million dollar right. range. And that's true pretty much across the peninsula and San Mateo and Santa Clara as well. Um, so, you know, folks who have been in that market have accumulated a, a good share of equity. And in fact, lo and behold, those are pretty much the only areas of the state where we're seeing a decent uptick in homes actually coming online available for sale. Got it. Now, of course, um, we just talk about, you know, the supply side. Sure. Um, supply side, it's, it's safe to say we still have a lot of problems because of the demographic, long-term structural change that we're gonna anticipate and seeing probably in the next uh, year, two years, three years, four years. Yeah, not to mention this habitual kind of under construction, which we don't have right. enough time to go into here, but I think there's you know a lot of things holding back on, on the supply side, but demand side, things aren't as dire. Well, it's true. I mean, we are looking at, in the short run, um, I mentioned earlier in the sessions that we, the fundamentals seems to be still working fine. We still have, even though we're not having robust growth, economic growth, uh, we still have pretty decent um, interest rates. The interest rate's been uh, below four. It's actually around you know, three, three and a half percent. Uh, so in the short term, it doesn't look like that we are going to fall off the cliff. I'm not saying that we're going to have a significant jump in the next few months or so, but it looks like the demand is keeping up with the fundamental. Right. Um, but also on you want now getting back to the long run you know that's where run, maybe more of the issues are gonna rear their ugly head right. some of the issues that you mentioned earlier for the supply side will apply also to the demand side yeah. people are not putting up their house on the market but they're also not buying at the same time um, now does that mean that we have to give up hope on um, demand maybe maybe not in the short term I think there are some kinks that need to work out. You know, for millennial, for example, millennial, don't you agree that millennial probably will be our next uh, big group of uh, buyers? Yeah, definitely. I mean, they're definitely a big share of the population, just their sheer numbers. Uh, they're a big group. A lot of them are kind of 
getting into that prime working age, right? When we think of millennials, I think we're still kind of thinking about them as, you know, these late teens type folks. A lot of the millennials are now in their, you know, late 20s, uh-huh. early to mid 30s. Um, and so they're they're starting to get into that prime working age where they want to go out and do things like get married, buy a home, start thinking about kids and things like that, um, which suggests that they should be a force in the housing market. But what did they say in, in, in terms of some of our recent survey work? Well, before we get into recent survey works first, but um, millennial, we know that millennial is going to be a big group. But also, we also know that as far as diversity is concerned, sure, um, we're going to have, for the millennial, we're going to have increase in uh, more diverse populations, such as more Hispanic population and um, some of the population, Asian population, and also you know African-American population. Right. And we also know that there are some, they may encounter some difficulty because of... You know, if we look at their um, financial background, credit scores, uh, and when we compare it to the overall population, they tend to be uh, have a lower level as compared to the overall population. Sure. And that, of course, affects their home uh, the uh, credit approval rate or mortgage loan approval rate. That I think for the next few years could have some impact on home ownership home ownership rate because uh, it, it takes time for millennials as well as for Hispanic uh, potential homeowners to actually, you know, get the uh, credit rating up, credit approval uh, rate up, their um, mortgage approval rate up. It's going to take some time, but um, I think in the long run, in the, in the medium run, I should say, it's going to have somewhat of an impact. In the long run, I think it depends on, you know, what we can do at the policy uh, home front and also how millennial can reduce their debt. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's where policy is going to end up being key because there's kind of a legacy of, um, you know, under buying or under participation in the housing market for, um, you know, various minority groups. And and that kind of has trickled through the generation such that um, these kind of next generation of Hispanics and black and Asian don't necessarily have the same um, kind of accumulated wealth or that intergenerational wealth that's been built up, um, you know, across previous generations to rely on leverage to jump into the housing market in the same way. And so I think that when you look at that kind of gap now, it's it persists to this day where, um, you know, especially black and Hispanic folks in, in California just aren't buying um, and owning homes at the same proportion um, or, you know, and more importantly, just really aren't closing that gap uh-huh. with the white community here in the state. Um, and so that's something that I think will continue to be an issue moving forward. Yeah. Now, of course, um, you brought up earlier about surveys. Um, even though there are difficulties, there are hurdles that they need to overcome, I think many of them are still somewhat optimistic. So if, you ba- if you look at the, uh, the survey results, at least I shouldn't necessarily say... Um, Immediately getting uh, becoming a homeowner, but they or they have the desire to become homeowners. It's an aspiration still, right? They still want to be. Um, they still think of of home ownership as a kind of integral piece of of the American dream. It seems like definitely uh, based on our generational survey. When we look at the millennials um, that we did, well, the generational survey was done earlier this year. But mm-hmm. when we look at the millennial, it's and we asked them, you know, whether they think. You know, they want to attain their American dream, continue to attain their American dreams. And many of them continue to say, over half of them, in fact, said, you know, it is still very important to fulfill this American dream. Um, and many of them still think it is a um, uh, investing in real estate is a safe investment. In fact, 
About 80%, more than 80%. Wow. So it's not just a quality of life thing that I want to be able to kind of call the shots right. in my own house. It actually seems like they're still on board with it from a, a financial standpoint as well. Definitely. And of course, you said earlier, life event, you know, like getting married will probably uh, put someone, uh, push up someone's desire to become a homeowner. And many of the millennials right now, of course, they're not uh, r- uh, rushing in to get married. But, you know, when they get to that stage... I think home ownership is definitely something to consider. Yeah, so they still want it. The economy is getting better. I guess, you know, the marriage thing is still an obstacle. So, you know, guys, do your homework. But, um, you know, at least we can look forward to these folks at least wanting to be in the market and being, I guess, potential clients for, for our members. Definitely. One last thing I want to cover uh, before we move on um, is the, uh, I know people talk about student debt. Sure. Do you think student debt is an issue uh, for millennials? I think that it might be a, a potential issue. I don't know how big it is. I mean, the one you know thing that I think we need to consider when we talk about student debt uh, is, you know, yes, you have this extra debt, but theoretically, if you finish school, right. um, graduated, if you're in a program that's you know in demand. Um, from a workplace or workforce standpoint, then you should also have that higher earning potential too. And it's right. not clear that the um, additional debt isn't kind of canceled out by the fact that you're going to be making more money over the course of your life. So I think student debt is an issue. I just don't think it's the fundamental one. I think tight inventory, ability to get financing, say for a down payment, and um, just you know overall affordability of housing is probably more more prescient in terms of their decision to buy or not buy. Got it. So it's more like maybe delaying their you know home purchase a little bit, but not necessarily you know cut back on their desire. They're not scratching it off the list because of student debt. Got it. Now um, there are a couple things that I want to mention, and I know um, the uh, expo is coming up. Our big annual expo. Big annual expo. We have a lot of events going on, and one of the events that we have in our expo is an econ panel. For some of you who might have attended the uh, econ uh, the uh, expo, you know that we always have an econ panel that feature a few great economists. Yeah, killer names in economics from all around the state, very um, keyed into what's happening in the housing market, and they're going to bring some great insights. So, and of course. Uh, we will be involved, but we can't do everything alone. You know, we will need your help, our members' help, in coming up with some good questions. So, if you don't mind uh, sending us some questions, if you have some burning questions you want to ask some of these economists, or topics that you want them right. to discuss, that you want us to kind of tee up and and see what the reaction is on the stage. Um, you know, look, I could make up my own questions <laughs> and and just drive the show in my direction. But ultimately, we're we're here for you guys and want to make sure that um, you know that we're conveying or kind of digging deeper on the stuff that you guys want to know. So um, by all means, if there's things, you know, please yeah. let Oscar know. Send it to send it to us. Send those questions to us. Now, let me give you my uh, email address. It's oscarw at car.org. It's, let me spell it out. It's O-S-C-A-R-W at car.org. Or maybe Jordan's. Jordan L. J-O-R-D-A-N-L at car.org. And we really look forward to, to seeing what's, what's on your mind and what you want us to ask about. Great. So shoot your questions in and we will be the presenter and ask them and hopefully we'll get a uh, very good answer, very, very good, uh, very, some very good answers from them. And we hope to see you guys all there. Definitely. Well, until next time, we'll have a, an, another podcast in a couple weeks. But until next time, thank you for tuning in. Thanks, everyone.